Well, it's definitely begun to feel like spring is right around the corner. Oh my goodness, look at the sun out there. We even had to pull down that, when you have to pull down the shade, you know it's serious business. The sun is out. Um, by the way, it is really green on this side of the mountains. It, it really is. We were away last weekend. We were away last weekend and uh, we went to Schweitzer Mountain at Sandpoint, Idaho. It's pretty far away. It's about seven and a half hours away. But when you get over the uh, Snoqualmie Pass and you get over to that side of the mountains, it is really brown. I mean, it is very brown. Once you get to Schweitzer, there's a lot of snow. It was a family reunion. I got to hang out with my brothers and sisters. There's like 35 of us up on the mountain. It was a lot of fun. But then once you come back down, you start heading home. Seven and a half hours what, about five and a half hours of that? Pretty brown, right? But I, I kind of grown to love it. As, as a kid, I couldn't stand it. Like when we go to Spokane, it was just was a tough drive. You'd hit Cheney, right? And you'd finally get some trees. You're like, oh, thank you, civilization. You know what I mean? But I've begun to appreciate it, right? All the, the farms, the animals, the open fields, the sagebrush. But it's all brown. And then you head west, right? You, you go over Snoqualmie Pass and everything changes. It's green, it's lush, it's beautiful. Soon over here, the flowers will be blooming, right? We got tulips, we got daffodils. How many of you have crocuses coming up? I know we got a couple at our house. Uh, Much sooner, by the way, than on the east side. It's quite impressive, but it's a beauty that I often take for granted. It's so easy for me. I'm talking to myself here, but I think all of us just to complain about where we live. It's, it's too much rain, too damp, too cold, too gray, too depressing, too whatever, right? You can, you can just get easily caught up in just complaining about something that in reality is absolutely beautiful. I do it all the time. I think we all do it from time to time. It's embarrassing, but as American Christians, we can do the same thing about church. We can begin to exercise the spiritual gift of complaining which actually is not a spiritual gift, whether you're looking in your Bible for it. Uh, but it's true. We do. It's too loud. It's too soft. It's too long. It's too short. You know, we're not doing enough outreach. We're not thinking about others. Or maybe we say, hey, this church is doing too much outreach. You've forgotten about us. We've, we don't have enough money. How are we going to survive? We have too much money. Where is all the money going? Don't like the pastor. Don't like the children's leader. Don't like that family behind me. And Pastor Randy, when are we going to do another potluck? He says it's not his job. Unbelievable. So I can complain with the best of them. And that's why it was so good to be gone this past weekend. As I re-entered my work week, I was reminded how green it is at LifeSpring. It's beautiful here. There's some really good soil here. I'm, I'm beginning to see some flowers springing up here at the church. It's beautiful. And I want to encourage all of us to catch ourselves when we come to church with a scorecard or an evaluation sheet in our hands, given scores and various ratings to the different ministries and the things that we observe at LifeSpring. Because guess what? If, if that's the spirit and the attitude in which you engage in this community, if that's the spirit and attitude that is cultivated and grows here, well, then guess what? Every time you walk through those two doors underneath that sign that says, Welcome to LifeSpring, others with that same spirit and attitude will be evaluating and grading you. And that is so far, far, far away and removed from what Christianity is all about. My great-great-grandfather founded a German-speaking Methodist church out 
in the middle of nowhere, out by one of those farms that's in the middle of nowhere on the east side of the mountains. It's still a church. It's the longest running church in the state of Washington. But if you go there, in fact, you can go there. The doors are unlocked. It's pretty neat to go in there and and look at the history. You'll see pictures of my great-great-grandfather and his family and congregation on the walls of the sanctuary. You'll see pictures of my great-grandfather and his family and congregation on the walls of that sanctuary. And then you walk out of the church and there is a cemetery. And in that cemetery is where all of those people in those pictures are buried, including my Aunt Wanda, who I never knew my Aunt Wanda. Uh, Her obituary says that she died of tuberculosis and leakage of the heart at the age of seven. Get this. While my grandfather was holding revival meetings. So he was out preaching the word of God while his seven year old daughter died. But see, what's amazing, I think we have pictures of that little church. There's one picture of it. I think we have another one. Isn't that beautiful? Literally in the middle of nowhere now. Probably like seven people go there, but beautiful, right? So if you're ever near Rockland or Davenport, go check it out. But see, for me, it's amazing what we've made church out to be in 2013, where it's all about what series are you doing? Well, we should do this series or we should do that series or our elaborate programs and our amazing events or all the bells and the whistles, right? And and we have reasons for doing this really good sounding reasons. You know, we're just trying to engage the culture. We're just trying to be relevant. I'm talking to me. This is these are the things that I say. I'm just trying to engage our culture. I'm just trying to be relevant. But see, if we don't like church, if it doesn't meet our standards, we just go to another one. And we keep on picking until we find one that meets our needs, makes us happy. And then what happens? The pastor offends us or the family behind us, you know, really is annoying us. And so we leave again. Another popular thing that happens is we leave because, you know, I've heard this a lot in Spokane when I was a pastor over there. I'm just not being fed here. By the way, if you are trying to live on just one meal a week on Sunday mornings, you are a part of a different religion than I am. You are. The one that I'm a part of is one where you feed yourself seven days a week through your Bible, through devotionals, through prayer, through worship, by living by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not waiting for some holy Gerber spoon of life to hand feed me on Sunday mornings. We take responsibility, don't we? And ownership for our personal relationship with Jesus. But I feel like that's the culture we're kind of hanging out in. And it kind of feels like that's the direction church is heading but you know when i walk through that cemetery and i see the gravestones of my relatives i realize they didn't have a choice of where to worship the lord that was the church that's the church that's the only church for miles you didn't get to pick the church that you're going to that was the church if you're going to church that's where you're going if you didn't like the music didn't like the food at the potluck didn't like the pastor didn't like debbie downer in the third row or sassy Susie in the back Tough luck. That's your church. And you know what I think happened back then? I think you were forced to learn how to live with people. Even the people that kind of rubbed you the wrong way got under your skin. You learned how to work it out because it was your church. It was your spiritual community. And you're going to have issues. We all have issues from time to time. But guess what? Relax. It's okay. God loves you. God loves them. You love people. In fact, the people in this room, you, you even love your enemies, right? So if your brother and sister in Christ in the church, they're not your enemy, right? So love is in the church. God is in the church. God's spirit is here. You can work through any conflict. I'm not addressing some specific issue here at LifeSpring. You guys are all real nice to each other. You're nice to me. 
You work things out. I say something that bugs you. And what do you do? You call me or you email me. And you don't chew me out. You don't yell at me. You just talk, try to get my opinion and what I was trying to say. And, and we hear from each other and we work it out. I love that. I'm not addressing a current issue here. But I am addressing a very important issue in the church today. It's something the Lord was speaking to me on the way home from Idaho. The reality is you guys are committed to the church. You're here. You are committed. But it feels like there's this whole generation that is now coming up through the systems of church, coming up through the programs through church, coming through all of this. You know, they're coming through church and they're coming through it with a consumer mentality. So instead of being a part of a church, a part of a community, a part of a family, they're just trying to get something out of the church. There's a whole generation now that is learning the complete opposite of what my ancestors learned at that church out in the prairie. Nowadays, if you get offended or hurt or the church flunks your little scorecard or evaluation sheet, you just move on to the next church. That's what this generation is learning. They're learning it from us. But at LifeSpring, they will not learn that here. The Bible has so much to say about community, about church. How to live together by the Holy Spirit himself. We are going to learn that each one of us how to treat one another, how to build up the body of Christ, where we don't just take and consume from the body, making it weak and depleted. But we deposit and we add playing our part to make sure it is a healthy and functioning body. I believe Life Spring Church is a modern day example of that little church by my family farm and people will leave our church. That's okay. I've left churches before. But instead of you leaving because we sing too many hymns or because we don't serve Starbucks coffee, you're going to leave because you're following God's call on your life. Right? You're going to say, Dan, I love you guys, but I'm being sent out. And guess what? We're going to pray for you. We're going to bless you. And we're going to send you out. Does that make sense? Amen. So we're going to show you a little video and then we're going to start into our book of Ephesians. But before I start that video, I wanted to read you a verse. I want you to just think about what this verse says. This is what it means to be a church. This is the attitude that we should have as a church. Ephesians 4, 29, 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander. Along with every form of malice, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Mm. I'm so excited, so excited. We have so much to learn from the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. We're beginning today our journey through this amazing letter from the Apostle Paul. That just gives you a glimpse of what we're going to be talking about. It's an exciting time to be a part of our church community. Uh, The book of Ephesians, it could be called, I would say, the handbook of Christian living, maybe the manual on how to be a church. You get six chapters, you split it down in the middle, you get the first three are doctrinal, what we believe, the doctrines of our faith, what we build our life upon, what we build our church upon. And then from one to three being doctrinal, we go to four to six, which are more practical because of who we believe Jesus is, what he's done for us, what we have as our foundation. Now, what do we do with that? Chapters four through six tell us how we should behave. What our walk with Christ should look like. The book of Ephesians discusses these issues. It explains the church, what church is, how it functions. Paul gives us an incredible metaphor that we use a lot in this church. The metaphor of the church being the body of Christ. A body, an organism. 
Not just a building you step into or, or an organization that you join, but a body, one body, united in Christ. And as the body of Christ, we learn how to function properly and in health with everyone using their fellow, uh, their, their fellow gifts or their spiritual gifts, ministers of the gospel of Christ. When we as a church are united, as we're functioning as one body, exercising those gifts that God has given us, we become an example to the world of Jesus Christ. We get to be an example of Jesus Christ. The world will see through the church Jesus. The world sees Christ. The world sees Jesus Christ. I think everyone in this room would agree with me that when people see Lifespring, we want them to see Jesus, right? We do. And and I think and I hope and I pray that they do. But we must be one body, a fully functioning body united by the person of Jesus Christ. But we must be one. There must be one body One spirit. We're the bride of Christ. We're one wife with one husband. We're one flock with one shepherd. We're one set of branches with one vine. We're one kingdom with one king. We're one family with one father. We're one building with one foundation. We're one body with one head. There must be unity. Unity. In this metaphor of the body, we can really grasp this idea of unity. It's a single body. But look, there's amazing diversity within that body. And along with that amazing diversity, there's a mutual dependence, isn't there? The different parts of the body needing each other to properly function. The human body, the perfect illustration to me of what church is and what it should look like. Now, as we walk through Ephesians, we'll be diving deeper into this idea of the body of Christ. It's exciting stuff. I love it. I talk about it all the time. I'll probably talk about it until I die. It's hard for me to wait. But today, before I get too far ahead of myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause. I'm going to take a breath. And then we're going to go back to the very beginning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians 1. And as you do, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the message that you are giving us by your word. I thank you for this letter, this amazing letter that speaks to all things coming under the authority of Jesus Christ. We pray that we could learn from you by your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So open up to Ephesians. By the way, um, Ephesians is in the New Testament. I always kind of struggle finding the books of the Bible. I'm, I, you know, maybe I'm not a good Christian, but it always takes me a while to find uh, the books of the Bible. Emily actually really helped me with this one. She said, God eats popcorn. So that's, um, anyone know what that is? See, I'd never heard that before. And I was a youth pastor. Who thought of that idea? It's a bad idea. But I was a youth pastor. And Emily said, hey, Dan, God eats popcorn. So it gives you a chance to find at least one of the three books and then get the order. I actually don't know if God eats popcorn, to be honest, Emily. That might be theologically incorrect. So we might need to talk about that. I'm just joking. <laughs> Ephesians 1. Um, let's go ahead and read this together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stop right there. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Paul, who's Paul? Anybody know who Paul was before Paul was Paul? Saul, very good. Saul, of the tribe of Benjamin, that was the same tribe, by the way, that King Saul was a part of, right? The first king of Israel. I can just see Paul's mother beaming with pride as she named her little infant boy after Israel's first king, King Saul. She named her little guy 
Saul, he grew up trained to be a rabbi. Paul tells us he was trained in the school of Gamaliel. He knew the scriptures of Old Testament extremely well. He became a well-known leader, teacher. The Bible says he was a zealous Pharisee who the book of Galatians tells us was intensely persecuting the followers of Jesus. Listen up, trying to destroy the church of God. That's who Saul was, trying to destroy the church of God. The book of Philippians tells us he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was on his way to Damascus with a list to find Christians to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And that's when the Lord stopped them in his tracks, converted him and makes them a preacher of the gospel. He went from persecuting Christians to encouraging them in the faith as he went out spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. He was no longer Saul. He was now Paul, a new man with a new name. I love the conversion experience of Paul. Can anyone relate to the conversion experience of Paul? Maybe you weren't blinded, but just that radical transformation in your life where God saved you. Anyone? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know why I love the story of his conversion experience? It's because it shows us so much that it's about God. It's about the amazing grace of God. It's all about God. Think about who Saul was. Saul was opposed to the followers of Jesus Christ. If I was God, I would have just squished Paul like a little bug, wiped him off the face of the earth so he couldn't mess with my people anymore. Good thing I'm not God. (laughs) But instead, God shows Paul grace. And in his grace, not only does he show him grace, he recruits him to be a part of the soul winning team. And don't you know that the Lord has done the same thing for us? He shows us grace, but in his grace, he recruits us to be part of his soul winning team. I love that. So God tells him, hey, Saul, I've got plans for you. You're going to reach the Gentiles and you're going to tell them about Jesus so they can be reconciled back to me. God's love is amazing. His grace is overwhelming, undeserved. Many of us have stories. We have those testimonies of how God saved us, how, how God chose us, how he adopted us to be a part of his family. And by the way, side note, when you look at Paul's conversion, it should remind you to never, ever give up praying for your friends and family who do not yet know the Lord. They are one encounter away from the Lord radically changing their lives forever. It happened to me. It happened to you. It happened to Saul. It can happen to them. Never give up praying for your loved ones that do not know the Lord. So Saul, he became Paul. He pastored a church in Antioch for a while. One day, the Holy Spirit, I think in chapter 13 of Acts, he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Lord is saying to him, it's time for you to go. You're going to fulfill what I told you on that Damascus road. You're going to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And he started out on what I believe to be considered the greatest missionary journeys ever recorded. He founded churches throughout the Gentile world. The gospel became a worldwide message through Paul. This letter to the Ephesians was written somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D., probably while he was a prisoner in Rome under house arrest. We just read a couple of weeks ago in our daily reading plan, the book of Acts, and that book lets you know how he made it to Rome. And who did he write this letter to? Well, right away, he he says uh, to the saints in Ephesus, in Ephesus, but those words in Ephesus or at Ephesus, Uh, Depending on the translation, they don't appear in a lot of the early manuscripts. In fact, in those manuscripts, there's a blank. Okay, what do we do with that? Well, there's a reason 
for that. See, in this entire letter, if you're familiar with the letters of Paul, in, in this letter, there's no local mention of any person, no mention of any city, no statement about any individuals in a specific congregation. That's something you're going to find in most of the letters of Paul. There's nothing personal, local, geographical in this whole thing. Guess why? Because this was not a localized letter specifically for the Ephesians. This was a letter about the whole body of Christ. So most scholars would say that the reason that there are blanks is that this was a circular letter that was sent to the churches of Asia Minor. One of them was Ephesus. As a circular letter, it would have gone to Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Ephesus. Look at a map. They're all there. All the way around this cycle of churches, perhaps to the Ephesians first. Ephesus was a large town, large city, 200,000 people. They had a, a theater there that held 25,000 people. So maybe it started in Ephesus, but it would go on from there. But for me, as I've been reading this book over the last couple of weeks, uh, just trying to get familiar with it, I, I just feel like it is a grand letter. It's, it's grand in style. It's grand in vocabulary. Paul uses words in the book of Ephesians that he doesn't use in any of his other letters. And Paul has a very specific message to the church in the book of Ephesians. His message is that through the church, the mystery of all believers sharing a common identity as the one family of God, that mystery has now been revealed, has now been fulfilled through the church. And by the way, this is a new message, one that never, ever was revealed in the whole of the history of Judaism. But now it's being revealed, and it's a very important message for everyone to hear. There is now unity of believers under Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile. Look at your Bible again. Notice right away, he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Apostle by Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. That is a bold statement. He is saying that he speaks for God. He is the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ, sent out not by his own power, but in the strength and power of Jesus Christ, by the very will of God. That's an amazing statement. But you know, as Christians, did you know we are given the same charge from the Lord? We are sent out. We are sent out according to the will of God. And as we are sent out, I really believe we can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul in this letter. Look at God's call on his life. It's a unique call to be sure, right? Jesus stops him in his tracks on the Damascus road. He blinds him. But then he says, Paul, I choose you. You're my man to go to the Gentiles. And Paul goes for it, doesn't he? I love Paul. He goes for it. He gives everything for Christ. He calls himself a bond, slave, a bond slave or a servant of Christ at the beginning of Romans. He believed with everything that he had this truth that he states in Philippians 1.21. Listen up. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. That's all I live for, Paul would say. He is all in for Jesus Christ. He was dispatched and apostolos, meaning a sent one, to carry the gospel with delegated power, the power of Jesus Christ. We can learn so much from Paul in these moments of calling. There's no vanity in his heart, no self-glory. I don't see an unhealthy pride rising up in Paul. Instead, I, I think his feeling is more of just sheer amazement. First Corinthians, what does he say? He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He's talking to Timothy and Timothy says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was the chief of sinners. I'm not worthy of this, but somehow God counted me worthy to make me an apostle. I hope everyone in this room 
would have that same attitude as, uh, as Paul had. That when Christ calls us and sends us out, that we would be just amazed. We would be filled with wonder. Wonder that God, the God of the universe, would think us worthy to share in this wonderful work that he is doing on this earth. Wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you would call me, that you would send me out. I praise you, Lord. I, I thank you, God. I'm not filled with pride or boastfulness or, or arrogance. I'm filled with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord God, to know that you have called me according to your plans and your purposes. Thank you, God. What an honor. What a privilege. Thank you, Lord. I hope that attitude rises up within us. Any pride would be struck down. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, one who's been sent out with the delegated power of Jesus Christ, begins his letter with a greeting. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you ever receive an email from me at the end of almost every email, what do I say? Does anyone know? Grace and peace, Pastor Dan. No, that's not an automatic signature. That's included in my emails. I actually have to type it out. It takes a while to type it out. It's very intentional. It comes from my time playing the piano for a Rocky Mountain Baptist Coalition church plant in Laramie, Wyoming that I was a part of called Emmaus Road. The pastors there would always greet me with grace and peace. The pastor Raul concluded every message with grace and peace. He was also the first guy other than someone in my family to tell me that he loved me. I remember the first time he said it. It really wigged me out. We were in his car. And he said, I, I love you, Dan. I was like, cool. <laughs> but he did. He loved me. And I actually got to a place where I was able to tell him that I loved him back. But grace and peace wasn't just a saying for these two men. It was how they lived their lives, full of grace, full of peace. Grace and peace, two very common words used to greet one another back in Paul's day. Grace to you, a common greeting in the Greco-Roman culture, and peace, right? Shalom, a part of the Jewish community. But Paul, he, he puts a Christian spin on the phrase. He, he takes the word grace, changes it from a verb into a noun, as if to say, yes, grace to you, but God's grace to you, God's Grace. He changes it just from a formal greeting to a reminder of what God has done. The Greek word is charis, which would mean a charm or a loveliness, an agreeableness. It would be a great way to start any kind of conversation or a letter. But grace, it also means the kindness of God toward undeserving people. We often talk about grace being the unmerited favor of God, right? Unmerited favor. But now you and I, we come up to somebody and we're like, hey, what's up, dude? You know, how you doing? Yeah. What up, broski? I, I had a meeting with one of you at Starbucks this week. And I, I said, hey, broski. And you said, what? I said, broski. I'm like, broski? I guess that one's not as popular as I thought it was. <laughs> it was really awkward. You're like, did you just call me something? No, 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 no. But those greetings are all fine. I mean, they're part of our current vocabulary. Maybe not broski. But wouldn't it be awesome if just more and more, I'm not saying every time, but just once in a while we came up to our brother or sister in Christ and say grace to you. Grace to you, Adam. Emily, grace to you. My graciousness and my loveliness to you. God's loving grace to you. Grace to you. I think it would remind us that we are what we are by grace. This whole community of believers 
is all built on grace. By the way, it is all built on grace. Did you know that? Grace, it's, it's all about grace. Grace is the fountain of all blessings. Anything good here is because of the grace of God. It's his grace. It's out of his grace that everything comes and everything flows. Just saying it out loud about who we are and who he is. There's something powerful about being reminded of God's grace, what it's all about. In fact, can we just say that together on the count of three? Let's say grace together. One, two, three. Grace. Amen. Amazing. His amazing grace. Here's a little challenge for you this week. As you enter into a conversation or an encounter that you're not looking forward to. In fact, you're not sure how you're going to behave or how you're going to act. Before you do, I challenge you to do two things. Number one, pray to the Lord. Ask him for help. Two, say the word grace out loud. I'm not telling you not to go into those hard and difficult times. Don't avoid conflict if an issue needs to be addressed. I'm just saying, come to it through the lens of grace. God's grace for you. God's grace for the person you're talking to. And the grace that you should be treating one another with. I promise you, it will radically change how you enter some of those difficult situations. Another thing I would encourage you is not just say it by yourself, maybe in the car before that meeting, but just going into any conversation, a good or a bad conversation, anyone, just with anyone this week, just say, begin it with grace to you. Just try it out. Maybe try it out on me after the service if it makes you nervous. Because guess what? It will check your heart. It will. Saying it out loud, it will check your heart, especially if you might be harboring ill thoughts or a negative attitude or a bad opinion towards another person. It can be an extremely powerful and meaningful declaration to verbally extend grace to someone. So say grace to you. And then the second half of the meeting, peace. Old Testament word would be shalom. New Testament word, irene, peace, peace. Grace is the fountain, right? Grace is the source. Peace is the stream. Everything flows from God's grace, including his peace. Because I have grace from God, I can have peace with God. Because of God's grace and everything that his son has done for us, I now have peace with God. Does that make sense? You you can't have peace without God's grace. If you are an unbeliever today, not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you are unpeaceful or you don't have peace in your heart, that's because you don't have Jesus in your heart. I'm not trying to be mean or, you know, condemn you. I'm just letting you know that Jesus, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God. Peace with God. But it comes from His grace. So when you go to somebody, instead of so, you know saying, hey, how you doing, what's up, you know, broski, all those kind of things, say... I like broski. I, I'm going to keep, keep on using it. I'm, we're going to get going. <laughs> but instead of that, say grace and peace. Grace to you and peace. By the way, if you start saying it to everybody that you meet, people will notice that you're a little different. They just will. I mean, you're going to raise some eyebrows. I've found this to be true in the emails that I send out to people that aren't Christians. Often I will actually, to be honest, not use grace and peace in emails that aren't within a Christian context if I'm emailing, you know, Costco printing or my garbage company. But 
But, it, but to be honest as well, I, I did start putting it in some of my emails. I started uh, sending grace and peace, Dan, uh, to my financial advisor. And, um, yeah, don't get all worked up. I, I have a financial advisor, but I never talked to him, never meet him. Anyway, <laughs> you're like, what? Pastor has a financial advisor? Sounds so, whatever. Okay, it's been like a year since I'd met him. But in that time, <laughs> I, I, um, I sent him some emails. I sent him like three, four emails. And I said, grace and peace, you know, Dan, at the end of those emails. The next time that we met, this, this is true. I'm not even making this up. We probably talked about church and what's wrong with church and God and what's wrong with God for like an hour and a half. He just wanted to talk about God the whole time. Uh, we addressed the idea of starting a college fund for our kids for like five minutes. He said, here's a piece of paper, fill it out. And then he's like, you know what I don't like about blah, blah, blah. But it was all, I love those kind of conversations. Like, that is the perfect situation for me to be in. So maybe his financial advising, you know, lacked some skill and, and whatnot. But it was a wonderful time full of God and full of his Holy Spirit. It was awesome. And I, and I truly believe that those emails with grace and peace had something to do with it. So grace and peace. Give it a try. Okay? Give it a try. I know it's kind of scary, kind of awkward. Try it on me. Because you know what? Those two pastors in Wyoming, they changed my life forever. By extending grace to me. By saying grace and peace again and again and again and again. Grace and peace, Dan. Grace and peace, Dan. Grace and peace. I'm a stubborn guy. Back then, I fought. I fought a lot. And I got into serious arguments with those two. I, I was extremely defensive and I was very immature. I remember saying things on purpose just to get them to be hurt, to hurt their feelings. But they continued to show me grace, as they'd say, grace and peace. I knew that they loved me. I had to apologize several times for my words and my actions because they, by their words, continually broke down those walls of anger and hostility that I was continuing to try to build back up. But they break them down with grace and peace. It has had such an effect on my heart, such an effect on my attitude, such an effect on my life that now when you receive an email from me, it's probably going to say grace and peace. And I try to not just say it in words, but hopefully my life and my actions reflect that as well. All right. I've gotten through two verses. I promise we'll do more than two verses a Sunday. But Today was really important to me. See, I want us to understand Paul's message throughout the book of Ephesians is this. He wants you to understand God's grace, that you might possess his peace. Why? Because you're a part of his church, his bride, his body, a united people, united together by the person of Jesus Christ. If we wanted division and discord and jealousy, quarreling and all those kind of things, all we would have to do is stop depending upon the grace of God. Stop extending grace and peace to one another. Stop extending grace to one another. Instead, let those things of the flesh rise up within you. That's what we want. That's all we have to do. Just stop extending grace to one another. And that brings me to what I want to close today with. Worship team, you can come on up. I'm going to close with this question. It's a a serious question. Who is it in your life that you've decided is no longer worthy of God's grace? Who is it in your life that you've decided is no longer worthy of God's grace? Who is it that you've stopped extending grace and peace to? 
I'm not talking about I'm not talking about an abusive relationship or an unsafe relationship here. I'm talking about in your normal day to day activities, in your normal day to day relationships, whether it be work, family or school. Who is it? Maybe there's a guy at work you you work with and you just can't stand him. We've all worked with that guy, right? He's just, oh my goodness, if he would just quit. But maybe there's that guy at your workplace. And the reality is how you feel towards him has begun to affect how you treat him, how you talk to him. In fact, you're showing him everything but the love of Christ. I get even touchier. Maybe it's your spouse. When you think of your spouse, all you can think about is what's wrong with them. What annoys you or irritates you about them. It makes you mad just thinking about saying grace and peace to them because they don't help around the house. They don't do laundry. They don't do dishes or anything else productive. You figure they got all the grace and peace that they need. So you ain't extending anything to them. Right. Especially not grace and peace. Maybe you're in school. Maybe you're making fun of some kids. I struggled with this in high school, putting down others. You know it's wrong. You feel it within your gut that you're doing something wrong. But you kind of like the attention that it gets you from others. So you'd never be caught dead extending grace to him or her. You know this grace and peace thing? I flunked this week. I just, I flunked an F. There was someone in my life I was not treating Right. They're not in this room, so you don't have to guess if it was you. But I was mad. I was really mad. And in my anger, I lost it. I didn't just lose my temper. I lost my bearings and my understanding of grace. But praise the Lord for His grace. I was able to go to that person and apologize. I had to forgive them for what they had done to me. And I apologized and asked forgiveness for what I had done to them. As much as I knew how, I tried to extend to them grace. And you know, I had to extend to myself some grace as well. And this whole argument reminded me of how thankful I am of God's grace. You know, even as we talked in that room, God's grace covered that room. Because of God's amazing grace, we were able to forgive one another. And like my mom used to say, we were able to start over. But who is it in your life? Who is it in your life? Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, show us by your Holy Spirit who it is in our life that we have stopped extending grace to. Who is it? In our life that we have decided is no longer worthy of love, acceptance, kindness, grace. Right now, Lord, in this, in this moment, we ask you to forgive us, Lord, for our judgmental attitudes, for the sin that so easily entangles and traps. <laughs> Remind us that we are free. We are free. Teach us how to love people in in that freedom, Lord. Teach us what it means to be free. Free to live, free to love, 
Free to forgive. Free to forgive. Remind us, Lord, to treat people like we want to be treated. To love others, to extend grace. To be the salt of the earth. To be the light of the world. Jesus, you have called us your ambassadors. Sent out with delegated power from on high. We don't want to abuse that power. We don't want to harm those around us. So lead us right now. Give us action steps. Direct us down your path of righteousness. We need to ask for forgiveness. Show us that now. If we need to make a phone call to a loved one, reveal that to us now. If we need to write a letter or a check or give a hug, speak to us now. Holy Spirit, in this moment, speak to us. Just begin to stir those things up within us. Lord, we so desire to be a healthy body of Christ. Lord, we want the world to see Jesus. 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 Lord, as we go through this week, we pray that you would remind us of your amazing grace. That we would not walk and be defined by our past or even our current sins. (laughs) That we'd be defined by your grace. That the evaluation and scorecard is no longer there. (laughs) Jesus washed it with his blood. He covered it with his blood. And now we are forgiven and free. Our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from from the west. Not by anything that we have done, but by the very grace and love of God. We are now forgiven and free. Wash that over us today, Lord. Wash that over us, Lord. That we would go into this week extending grace and extending peace to those around us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I, in my morning devotion today, this is a great verse. I think it's very applicable to what I've been talking about. James 5.16. It says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You're forgiven, but there might be something that you've done that you just know is flat out wrong. And you might need to confess your sin to another. So maybe before you go out those doors and eat at Ranchitos, just you know, grab your, your butt, grab your friend, maybe your spouse or whoever it is, and say, hey, I just need to get this off my chest. I, I don't want to live in this bondage anymore. I don't want this to weigh me down. I, I've done something that's wrong, and I just need to confess that to you. Would you pray with me? It's, it's that simple. Just be honest. Hey, I, man, I, I was awful this week. I just awful. But would you pray with me? Because, because I really want to live in God's freedom. Okay. Does that make sense? So I, I read that verse this morning. I wanted to share that with you. I know it's much harder than it sounds. Uh, you're like, Dan, you have no clue the situation you're talking, me, uh, talking about me going into. You don't know what he's like or what she's like. No, I probably do. I have those relationships as well. I get how intense and big it is. I get that it's hard. I get that you need the super, supernatural miracle of the Lord to invade those conversations. I get all that. I get it. But it doesn't mean we're not supposed to walk into some of those things. Okay? Be safe. Don't go into any unsafe situations. 
But be bold. Be bold. Be bold. The Lord's with you. He'll supply all your needs according to His glorious riches that are found in Christ Jesus. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Okay?